Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So, uh, many moons ago, um, I was... uh, I decided that after working on some some ranches and uh, all of that, that that I I kind of had that that fever that I wanted to make more than four dollars a month, and so uh, or at least be able to put four dollars in my pocket a month, and so I went back to college and I was going to Angelo State University in San Angelo, Texas, and I went and got me uh, the cheapest apartment that I could find that that. Uh, that you know that had a that had a bathroom in it you know and so anyway i was going to school full time which basically uh meant you know from 8 to 12 in some form or fashion monday through friday and um i i couldn't find me a full-time job that i could do with that so i had to find me a couple of part-time jobs and right after i moved there i had an uncle that uh worked for an oil field outfit i guess you could say and they were opening up a texaco and it was had a convenience store and it had you know the the gas pumps on both sides of it and the only reason i took it it was it was just about a block down for taco from taco bueno which i was a regular at anyway so i figured once i went to taco bueno and got me a burrito i could just go on to work well i didn't really know that where they really needed the help was at the night shift from 11 to 7 and and I and I turned into a pumpkin about 923 and so it was a big change for me of of work in the nights but you know it wasn't even though it was eight hours you know it wasn't necessarily five days a week it was sometimes three days a week sometimes four days a week but that wasn't enough money to make ends meet so uh, I decided to get me another part-time job and tried to find one that would kind of work around my schedule and I still wanted to, to do something cowboy, and I had uh, delusions of grandeur about working in a feedlot. You know, I thought those were, those were uh, good hands, and they are. They are. They're good hands. So I went out, and I applied at a feedlot, and they asked me what kind of experience I had, and I told them. You know, I didn't lie to them. I told them, you know, I could rope anything and flank bulls and, you know, just, I mean, I was really modest about it. And they was so impressed that they hired me for some reason. And I thought that I'd be horseback every single day. Well, I sat on my butt all day, but it wasn't on a horse. It was on an articulated front-end loader, and I was scooping poop every single day. Well, you know, when you're young, you don't realize it. You know, I had a, let's see, what year was that? I think it was a 1982 single-cab Chevy pickup with a 454 in it. You could literally take off from a red light and lose a quarter tank of gas. And the feedlot was like 45 minutes from my house. And so it didn't happen a lot of times, but when it did happen, I went to school from 8 until 12, and then I left school with a change of clothes, and I'd get to the feed yard about 1. I would stay there until 6 or 7. I would go home. Get me a shower. You can't wash that smell out your clothes or your skin. I'm just letting you know. I smelled like money the whole time. 
and uh, which which really brought some interesting conversations. When I had to act, they wouldn't let me wear my cowboy hat at the convenience store. But it was an odd feeling whenever you'd go to school from eight to 12, you would go to the feed yard from about one to six or seven, you'd go home and study, and then you would go to work at the convenience store from 11 o'clock at night till seven o'clock in the morning so that you could run home and change clothes, put your lid on, go to class from eight to 12. And man, that, that was tough times. That was tough times and I, and I thought I was living the dream. Well, come to find out, it's a lot more expensive than I thought whenever I was, you know, when you work on a ranch and you live in a line camp, your house is provided and, you know, a lot of things are provided, your meat is provided and you don't have a lot of grocery bills or stuff. But man, I, 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 didn't, have, I didn't have any money to speak of. So if I wasn't studying and I wasn't going to school and I wasn't working in the event that I had some free time, I couldn't even afford cable. So I'd just sit there in my apartment. Well, I got kind of sick of that. So I called my dad who lived in Big Lake about, oh, about an hour away. And I said, hey, you coming to Angelo anytime soon? He's like, yeah, I plan on coming over there to, you know, this weekend or something. I don't remember. I said, hey, can I borrow your guitar? He said, you can't play the guitar. And I said, not yet. So he said, yeah, I'll bring it to you. So dad brought the guitar that he'd had like most of his life up to that point. And anyway, I went to the local music store and I bought a Garth Brooks Rope in the Wind songbook that told you where to put your fingers. So I went and got that. I splurged. I saved up for three months to afford the $13 uh, songbook. And so in my quote unquote free time, I sat there and I learned to pick the guitar. I still ain't much good at it, but I can sing you a campfire song every now and then. And, you know, I, I put my fingers exactly where they said put the fingers, and I'd strum it, and it'd go bronk. I was like, yeah, I'm ready for ACDC now. So anyway, I, I just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it and, and basically uh, taught myself how to play the guitar. That was one of the hardest times of my life. One of the hardest times of my life. I thought I had troubles oozing out of me well many moons later after going to work for the prison and, and doing some other stuff and i left all that behind uh we we joined a a thing that i'd never heard of it's called a cowboy church and it just so happened that that whenever we joined the guy that was got up there every sunday because we had music up there every sunday the guy that was doing the music he moved like I think we were there one week together and the guy moved and they didn't have anybody else to do music. So they said, the preacher got up there was like, hey man, if anybody can pick a guitar, you let me know because we need a guitar player. And my wife's like, hey, you pick the guitar. Well, at the time I'd given my dad's guitar back to him and uh, I had an electric guitar, but I didn't want to haul amps around and stuff like that because it was a real small congregation. But my uh, father-in-law had given my daughter a hot pink acoustic guitar. So guess what I played in church? I played a hot pink $84 acoustic guitar in church. And let me tell y'all something. You've got to be real secure in your manhood to play a hot pink uh, acoustic guitar in a cowboy church. Taught me a lot. And it wasn't very much longer that not only did our music guy leave, but our preacher left. And suddenly we was without a preacher. And so we was wondering what we was going to do. 
And one of the elders looked at me and said, well, I know what we're going to do. He said, what? He said, well, you're going to preach. I said, uh-uh. He said, well, you're already up there. You're already playing and singing, and, you know, you're good with the crowd. You're funny, blah, blah, blah. You can tie things together, man. Just give it a shot. So basically, I said, okay. And it wasn't until the other day in a conversation with one of our Long X Ranch Cowboys that I realized that during one of the hardest times of my life, when I just thought that God was punishing me and that I couldn't do anything wrong or I couldn't do anything right and blah, 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 that God used that time of trouble to set up the stage for something that would happen years later. Who would have known that being able to pick the guitar, of sitting in an apartment with no money, I mean, I, I, I won the... Uh, the state 4-H sub-junior state trap championship for about 90 seconds. Well, that, that's kind of a long story, but I'll try to make a, I'll try to make a long story out of a short one. Uh, so I, I was a pretty good trap shot with shotgun, and uh, we entered up into the state finals there in Midland, Texas, and I went out there, and I shot better than all of the sub-juniors, which was 12 and under. And I got up there, and they took pictures of me for about 90 seconds of me holding the state championship belt buckle until this lady started throwing a wall-eyed hissy fit and I seen all these adults arguing and I seen my dad punch something. No, he didn't punch nobody out, but he wanted to. And somebody came over and said, sorry, and took the buckle away from me and gave it to another kid. Well, what had happened was the rule stated at the time of sign up, how old are you? He was 12 years old at the, at the time of sign-up, but when we shot, he was 13. And so when they signed him in that day, they asked his age, and he said 13. And so they put him in the junior level, and he got beat in the junior level. So his mom went and read the rules real quick and came back and said, no, he was supposed to be shooting as a sub-junior. So they took the buckle away from me and handed it to him. Now, why do I tell you that? It's because... That shotgun that I used was a Remington 1100. It was hot, and I'm not talking about, you know, temperature hot. It had the serial number ground off of it. Bought it out of it from an old guy that had it, you know, behind the seat of his pickup. I had to sell that one month to make a pickup payment. It was one of the hardest times of my life, but God used that time of trouble to prepare me for years later of something that would happen. And the rest may we say, is history. Did everybody watch that or just me? Everybody saw that. In Romans 8, 28, God gives us a glimpse into times of trouble. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Your Bible might say something along the lines of, God works for the good in all things for those that believe in Christ Jesus. God works for the good in all things, even in times of trouble. The Simplified Cowboy version says, We have no doubt that all of us cowboys and cowgirls that have answered his call, God will take the reins and lead us towards green pastures. It doesn't say he's just going to yank us up and just throw us, you know, into the trailer and take us to green pastures. It says he'll lead us towards green pastures. God works for the good in all things. And that is the truth about trouble. See, God 
is not causing your problems. And every stinking one of us has got one or two. Some of us have got to pass more than that. But God is not causing your troubles. God is not causing your problems. But he will allow you to grow through them if you have faith. If you keep towing the line, if you stay saddled up, God will work for the good and all things for those that ride for him. Here's three myths about God and your troubles. Number one, listen, we've all lost loved ones. We've all had loved ones pass away, but God doesn't kill people. God does not kill people. As a matter of fact, when, when somebody passes away, you'll hear people say like, God took them. God doesn't kill people. Now, we know that unless the rapture happens, unless Jesus Christ comes while we're still walking this earth, that every stinking one of us is going to pass away. But God does not kill people. And, and listen, I know this may sound a little harsh, but I'm trying to, trying to you know, turn, turn a semi with a, with, with, a, with a flat tire on the right side, is that God doesn't need people. Yeah, well, I guess God needed him a hand in, in heaven. No, he don't. I'm, I'm sorry. He don't. But you know what God did do? He knew that that would happen from the beginning of time. And when that believer steps up in front of God, he wrapped his arms around him and told him, Welcome home, my good and faithful servant. See, God doesn't kill people. God doesn't take people. God doesn't need people. We need him. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. We need him. So three myths about God and your troubles. Number one, God doesn't kill people. And, and I know that it's, it, it probably helps us feel better and all of that, but, but I, I'm not here to make you feel better. I'm here to tell you the truth, and the truth is that God don't kill people. And God, the second myth, is God is not punishing you. God is not punishing you. Why? Because Jesus was punished for our transgressions. If God was going to punish you, that would be like God saying that my perfect son's sacrifice was not enough. And it was. It was enough to cover up every single sin except one. And we've all heard it, the, you know, the mortal sin and everything. Well, let, let me tell you what that is, just real quick. It's the sin of unbelief. Because you must believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and lived a, a, he was the son of God, lived a perfect life and took his perfection and, and was punished as the worst of the worst. All of God's wrath, fury, and anger was poured out on his only son so that he would take your place on the cross. Well, if God is punishing us, he's saying that his son's sacrifice was not enough. But God knows that it is. God is not punishing you. God is not punishing you. Listen, we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. This world has selfishness. This world has greed. This world has hate. This world has llamas and coconuts and politicians. I mean, this is a fallen world, okay? This is a fallen world. And a lot of our troubles are a result of that. Three myths about God and your troubles. Number one, God doesn't kill people. He don't take people. He don't need another hand in heaven. Now, he may give some of us hands a job in heaven, and I believe he will. And I look forward to that day. I really do, when there will be no misses and no broncs. Or at least if there is a bronc, we'll be able to cover them. God doesn't kill people, and God is not punishing you. And the third myth, God does not hate you. No matter what you've done in your life, God does not hate you. 
See, the gospel, we've all heard that term, the gospel. The gospel means good news. The gospel means good news. It does not mean legalistic religion where you have to follow all these rules or you're going to hell. That is not what it means. The gospel means good news and the good news is that Jesus Christ or God loves you more than anything. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. See, the truth about trouble is God doesn't cause your problems. Well, but doesn't the Bible say that God tests us? Yes, it does. So then maybe my trouble is a test. Listen, does he cause the test or does he use the test? Now, I, I, will, I will agree. I will agree that God sometimes allows us to go through hard times. And everybody listening, whether you're on the internet, on the radio, or sitting, sitting in a pasture, avoiding stickers and cow poop, every single one of us have gone through major troubles in our life. Maybe tests, you can say. But here's two things to consider about tests. Listen, for y'all that have kids, would you go and break your son's leg to teach him a lesson? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Would you intentionally with malice in your heart, do something that would uh, harm or bring massive troubles into your children's life so that they could learn a lesson? No. But, but, some of those things are going to happen to your kids just like they happen to you. And you know what we can do for our kids during those times of trouble? During those, what we might consider tests? We can teach them how to get through it. We can give them some tools that, that we learned. And that's what the Bible is about. If you'll go read the book, if you'll go read the book, man, all of it is giving guidance. It's a love letter written by God through the Holy Spirit. It's a love letter to show you how to, how to get through times. It's about faith and it's about how much God loves us and it's about how much we need God. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 11 and 12, it says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Man, God, God is not, yeah, maybe he lets us go through the tests. Maybe he, and I know he does, he allows us, he's not going to reach down and, and, and rescue us from every single problem, but he will be there through us. You know, there's this, there's this saying, a, a meme or a picture quote on, on social media that said, I asked God why he was leading me into troubled waters and God's answer was because your enemies can't swim. The truth's about trouble. Doesn't the, God, doesn't the Bible say that God tests us? Yeah, but does he cause the test or use the test? Is it really a test? I mean, seriously, is it really a test that you went and peed on the electric fence? Yeah, it's going to hurt. We got one strung up right over here. If anybody, we'll hold a sheet up, let you try it. But, you know, God, God's not going to lead you to do that, dummy. God is not going to lead you to do that. Don't confuse a test with the consequences of, of sin or, or stupid decisions. Jesus died to free us from the punishment of sin not the earthly consequences of it. Understand that. He died to free us from the eternal punishment of sin. He did not die to free us from the con earthly consequences 
of sin. Speaking of electric fence, I'm glad none of y'all was out here the other day because, you know, usually this, old, this, this wire over here is smoking hot. And so, you know, being the cowboy that I am, you know, I, the shortest distance between, a, between where you are and the cow you want to rope is a straight line. Well, I wasn't roping nothing, but I was walking over here. And I got this little trick that I use. So you just walk up to that old electric fence, you take your lid off, and you push it down with that. And then you step over. But you've got to be real careful to keep that lid perpendicular, especially if it's about this high. And I took my hand off, and I pushed it down, and I stepped across, and I tilted it this way, and that wire came up and stabbed me. Luckily, it was not turned on, but you'd have never known it. You would have never known it. <laughs> Thank you, Ty. Thank you. Is it really a test? You know, uh, me, me and my buddy Neil, uh, you know, we, we go to the gym as often as we can, which is usually three to five times a week. And one day he couldn't make it, and I was there by myself. And I've been working out for a couple of years. And, you know, just if you've ever been to the gym for a very extended amount of time, there's times you just kind of, there's mirrors everywhere. You just kind of look over and you're like, who's that dude? That's me. I was kind of feeling full of my oats that day. I felt good. And I was like, you know, there was, there was some ladies running on their treadmill. And there was some young kids, you know, lifting weights. And man, I, I look pretty, not, not comparing myself. I'm not saying that I was better than them because I was there at one point. But I was feeling pretty good about myself. So I was looking at myself in the mirror. And all the ladies are running on the treadmill. And there's mirrors where they can see themselves. But they can also see behind them. And I was so busy looking at myself in the mirror. That I tripped over a bench and busted my head on the deal. I learned humility at the gym that day. And then God reinforced it. Because I tripped over it three more times. I don't even look in the mirror anymore. I don't even know if I'm there. Is it really a test? Or is it just an earthly consequence of something we got going on inside of us. The truth about trouble, God doesn't cause your problems. And yeah, God allows us to go through tests, but man, if you think that God is down there and he's just like, well, it looks like he's pretty comfortable, so we're gonna turn the old heat up right here and put him on high, he's been on simmer a while. Yeah, that's not really the way God works. And lastly, well, if you know God doesn't cause our problems, if he's, if he's not like a little kid with a magnifying glance, uh, glass, you know, seeing if, how long it takes for an ant to catch on fire, if that's not it, then why does God allow us trouble? Why does God allow us trouble? A lady named Alyssa wrote on Christianity.com. I found this the other day, and I just thought it was good, so I'm giving her credit for these four things. She gives us four reasons why we might go through trouble that is not a result of anything that we've done. Because sometimes we have, we didn't do nothing wrong. We kind of feel like Job, man. We're going through hard times, but we know that we ain't done nothing wrong, but we're still going through it. Why? Well, Miss Roach says that the first reason that God might allow us trouble, even when we didn't do anything wrong, is to show his glory. Is to show God's glory. In John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples encounter a man who's been blind from birth. The disciples asked Jesus, they said, who sinned? this man or his parents that he should be born blind because back then they thought that anything that negatively happened was a result of sin so they asked who sinned this man or his parents that he should be born blind jesus answered him he said neither this man nor his parents sinned but this happened so that the works of god might be displayed in him neither this man nor his parents sinned but this happened so that the works of god might be displayed 
in him. The disciples were operating under a common assumption of the time that any suffering one experienced was a result of sin that had not been confessed or atoned for. Jesus gives another reason. A person might suffer so that God would be glorified. A person might suffer for a time so that they might experience an even greater good in the future. God works for the good in all things for those that believe in Christ Jesus. The second thing of why does God allow us trouble is maybe it's to improve us and bring us closer to God. Paul writes, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. He wrote that in Romans chapter 5. Suffering helps us to lean on God and improves our character. Thus, sometimes suffering is for this reason rather than the result of any poor choices. Let me, let me simplify that for you. Maybe when you're going through hard times, man, when, you, when everything just feels like it's falling apart and you don't understand and you don't know why and, 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 and you're alone in your house and the weight of the world is on your shoulders and you hit your knees and you cry out to God. Man, that's a result. Hitting our knees and crying out to God is a natural reaction for the Christian in times of suffering. But maybe, just maybe, if we fell to our knees more often in the good times, we would need as many bad, bad times to bring us back to that position. Think about that. How often do we go through problems and boy, we, we pray all day and we pray all night and we hit our knees and man, we are begging God. We got tears running down our face. That's pretty typical in times, in hard times. Is it typical in good times also? Maybe, just maybe, if we fell to our knees more often in the good times, we wouldn't need as many bad times to bring us back to that position. The third thing that Miss Rote says is it's the, well, I kind of rephrased her title and put it in terms that I can understand. It's just the cost of writing for the brand. It's just the cost of writing for the brand. In John 15, 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep that in mind, keep in mind that it hated me first. Christians face discrimination, persecution, and even death for their faith. In this case, the bad things that happen are because the Christian is doing something right. Jesus warned that a sinful world would hate those who are not of this world. It just happens. When you, when you stand up, you stand out. And just like Ty said in his prayer, man, that, that old devil's got an arrow knocked on those that stand out. And the last one, why would God allow us trouble? It's just the result of the sorry world we live in. And I've already mentioned that. It's just the result of the sorry world we live in. Creation itself is broken because of Adam and Eve's original sin. Natural disasters, disease, famine, none of that existed before sin entered the world. All of these things exist because it's broken. Suffering from these shouldn't be assumed to be the judgment of God. Rather, they are realities that we face living in an imperfect world. Another reality of living in a world corrupted by sin is that we can suffer from the sins of others, whether through violence, selfishness, or injustice. Suffering caused by the sins of others is not our fault and also shouldn't be assumed to come as discipline or punishment from God. I get this question all the time. If God is so good, if God is so loving, how could he let a child be killed? How could he let, you know, the, the worst thing that you can think of, how would he allow that to happen? Well, I'll tell you why. Because God gave us free will. The same free will that somebody uses for an ultimate evil is the same free will that allows somebody to rush into 50 caliber machine gun fire to rescue his fallen comrade. The same free will 
that somebody uses to inflict pain on somebody else is the same free will that somebody else uses to sacrifice themselves for the sake of somebody else. God's not going to take away free will. But make no mistake, just because he allows it, it does not mean that it does not break his heart or fill him with complete joy. Sometimes the trouble we go through is just a result of the sorry world we live in. In Romans chapter 8, once again, verses 22 and 23. All of creation has been in pain like a mother awaiting the birth of a child. We who ride for God also suffer in pain as we wait for the future glory that is to come. We wait to be freed from sin and suffering. We long to be given our inheritance. As children of God, we will have new bodies and a new life, free of pain and suffering. This present is not permanent. It may feel like it sometimes, but this present is not permanent. So maybe, just maybe, maybe it's time. If you're going through a time of trouble, maybe it's time for you to pick up a guitar or whatever it is that would fit your circumstance of what you're going through right now. Because God can use even the most horrendous of times for his glory if you will keep the faith and keep on coming on. Because God works for the good in all things for those that believe in Christ Jesus. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, you hear our prayers and you answer them. We don't ask today to be rid of the cup of suffering, but to see what it really is. It is a time for us to saddle back up and do what you've already told us to do. Many times when we don't answer, when you don't answer us, it's because you already have. There's only one answer, and the answer is faith in your goodness, kindness, grace, and your mercy, and your love. Not because we do not have trouble, but especially in the midst of it. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.